message instructions. Thank you for joining us on another podcast. I'm Tim. And I'm Miss. Thank you for following us on redpilltour.podbean.com and on Facebook and Twitter. And thank you for your feedback. Yes, your prayers, feedback, and encouragement is really so valuable to us, and we will implement as much as we can. That's why we're going to try something a little different. One listener informed us that they love the podcast, but they thought we sounded scripted. We love God, His Word, and His people, and the things that we've discovered, our red pill moments, are things we feel compelled to share mm-hmm. in order to strengthen our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Our perspective might be somewhat different than what some churches are doing today, but we believe, based on the scripture, that it's the right thing and we're willing to ruffle some feathers to get the truth out. What we have to say is so important to us that we just don't want to mess it up. Yeah. I was really surprised to know how much time it takes to prepare a 15-minute podcast. The study and research, checking word meanings to ensure we're clear, checking the flow of information so we make sense. It takes some work to discuss the Word of God the way we aspire to. Following an outline helps us to get everything in, in a clear way, and in about 15 minutes. However... This podcast, we're going to toss our notes away. What? Just kidding. Hmm. We're going to work more on our delivery. Speak a little more freely. Hopefully, get everything within our 15-minute time frame. So, let's go. Okay, so last time, we left off at Colossians 2 and 16. Some believers today use this scripture to say that we don't have to observe the Lord's feast days. At the time Paul wrote this letter... He was responding to a specific issue the Gentile believers in Colossae were having. He wrote this letter from prison. Although those believers had never seen Paul in person, he wanted to strengthen these believers' faith and their resolve to, quote, walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him, bearing the fruit of good works, and growing in the knowledge of God, Colossians Mm -hmm. 1 and 10. So these believers were surrounded by a culture that idolized human logic, human wisdom, and human reasoning, beliefs that these believers themselves formally held. Also, there were Jewish influencers all around trying to teach adherence to the Torah as a way to salvation, instead of teaching salvation by grace through faith. Colossians 2, verse 8 has Paul warning, and I paraphrase, be careful not to let anyone confuse you using philosophy, mind games, traditions, or worldly principles. Mm -hmm. In verse 16, Paul is encouraging these believers to not succumb to peer pressure and society's judgment just because they, the new believers, are choosing to live a godly lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean following God's Torah, obeying his dietary instructions, observing his holy days and refraining from working on the sun, on the Sabbath. These believers who used to celebrate Greek holidays now choose to embrace the lifestyle and holy days of the God of Abraham. No doubt their family, friends, and neighbors questioned their decision and probably tried to pressure them to revert back to their old ways. I'm sure, yeah. Those old ways included eating blood, strangled animals, fornication, and participating in idolatry, among other things. The pressure to revert must have been pretty hard. So Paul wrote the letter to encourage them to stand firm. 
Paul says in verse 17, God's holy days are a shadow of things to come, but the substance that creates the shadow is the Messiah. Mm -hmm. Let's take an example. So if you see the shadow of a bus and the shadows moving towards the street where you're standing, your common sense tells you exactly what to do. Move out of the way because a bus is coming. (laughs) If Paul identifies God's holy days as shadows of things to come, and the substance that creates the shadow is the Messiah, would Paul in the very same thought tell believers to disregard these holy days, you know, the ones that remind us of the Messiah? Good point. Does that make any sense to you? What about the handwriting of ordinances that was um, nailed to the cross in verse 14? Do you think those ordinances included God's holy days? Are God's holy days commandments and doctrines of men spoken about in verse 22, or are they God's instructions? God's holy days are his instructions. And now that we know that we're grafted into his family, we should want to know and obey our Heavenly Father's instructions that pertain to us. Mm -hmm. His instructions also include his holy appointments, which can be found in Leviticus 23. Uh, The first two verses read, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and tell them the feast of the Lord, which you will proclaim holy convocations. These are my feasts. Wow. I love that scripture, miss. I'm encouraged to know that our God claims these days as his because they are his times. Mm -hmm. We have front row seats and first class invitations to participate. There are two really powerful Hebrew words used in this scripture to describe what's happening. One word is mikra. The King James Bible translates it as convocation. Other Bibles may say gathering. The word mikra can also mean rehearsal. So check it out. Every year, at the same time of year, God wants us to rehearse something. We'll find out shortly what he wants us to rehearse. Okay. The other Hebrew word is moedim, which the King James Bible translates as feasts. The word Moedim means appointments or meetings. So again, check it out. The creator of the universe has times when he wants us to rehearse something every year. He has appointments set in his calendar, times he wants to meet with us. Wow, that's huge. Mm -hmm. God's calendar has many appointments, which all point to his great plan of salvation. By comparison, most countries' calendars have a bunch of stuff going on like religious observations, celebrations of military victories, society events, and important people's birthdays. Our God's calendar is all about His Son and His ministry. Mm. The first appointment mentioned in Leviticus 23 is the weekly Sabbath. After God says, these are my feasts, the first one He mentions is the Sabbath. He says in verse 3, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest, a holy convocation or gathering, and we shall do no work during it wherever we are. You know, it's interesting to note that the first appointment that God mentions is the Sabbath. The Sabbath points to the rest that Jesus the Messiah will give us. Mm -hmm. Some Bible scholars point out that the Sabbath looks forward to the millennial reign of the Messiah on earth. I've heard believers say that the Sabbath is on Sunday for us and Saturday for Jewish people. 
Uh, you know, if we don't get the day right, we'll we'll just miss this weekly appointment. There is no scripture that identifies Sunday as the Sabbath for anyone. Nope. Now, if you find a scripture, please send us an email, redpiltora at gmail.com, and be sure and mention the version of the Bible you're using. We can be sure that the Sabbath we recognize today is the same one from the creation because Jesus did not correct the Sabbath day observance and we can cross-reference Roman and other Western calendars that track the days from Jesus' time on earth to this present day. God's instructions did not change the Sabbath to Sunday. Nope. Early writings from the Roman Catholic Church identify their leaders as the source of Sunday worship for Christians. Every day belongs to our God and he is to be worshiped on every day. Amen. But even with our good intentions, is it wise for us to override his instructions? Can the Creator choose a specific day of the week for us to meet with him and actually expect us to keep the appointment? I don't think that's too much to ask. I mean, he is God. Mm -hmm. Perhaps our listeners can let us know what they think. We'd love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. So, The Sabbath is a day of rest, a holy convocation where no work is done on that day. Now, many people have written on what one should or shouldn't do on the Sabbath. And my recommendation to keep things simple is to do what the scripture says. Rest, remember and honor God with other believers, and don't work. Mm -hmm. And if you're not sure what to do, if it feels like work, it probably is. The Holy Spirit will let you know, and you won't have to overthink it. What's been your experience, Dad? Well, I agree with what you said, Mama. We don't uh, need to add any specifics or any of our personal judgments where God's Word has not added specifics. He will teach us how to observe His Sabbath. We need to obey Him. You know, this is a good time to ask our listeners, what would you do? If you discovered that the way you live your life or some of your beliefs are not in line with God's instructions, would you change or would you take the blue pill? Only you can answer that question. Prayerfully consider what you do on the Lord's Sabbath. Our God clearly has plans for that day. What are your plans? Miss, our listeners should know another reason why the Sabbath is so important in God's calendar is that Each of the holy days in God's calendar includes a high Sabbath. That's right, Dad. God's festivals begin and end with a high Sabbath, except for one, and we'll explain which one soon. The high Sabbath differs in that they can fall on any day of the week. Mm -hmm. Like the weekly Sabbath, high Sabbaths include the instruction that no work is to be done. And now that you know how to observe the Sabbath, God moves on to his other appointments. The structure of God's calendar features a grouping of three holy times in the spring, one in the summer, and another grouping of three holy times in the fall. These groupings are also referred to as pilgrimage feasts. In Deuteronomy 16 and 16, God instructed all the Hebrew males to come to the place he would choose, which we now know to be the temple in Jerusalem, and to bring an offering. Exodus 34, verses 22 through 24, documents this same instruction to the men of Israel with God's promise to protect their homes and their lands while they were traveling. Wow. 
For believers today, maybe we all can't go to Jerusalem three times each year. The politics in that region at the time of this recording would really make it hard to do exactly what God instructs for his holy days. Most importantly, there is no temple and no priestly infrastructure to carry out God's instructions in detail. Still, Jews and believers around the world do what we can to keep these appointments and to mark these holy times. Miss, let's give an, an overview of the spring holy days, shall we? Okay. Leviticus 23 says that uh, the spring holy days are Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruit. Mm-hmm. Passover is the first holy day of the year. It occurs on the first month of God's calendar and is always on the 14th day. It is a memorial of the stunning deliverance of the children of Israel from bondage in the land of Egypt by God. It also represents the redemption of those who put their trust in Jesus, the Son of God, who became the Passover lamb for all who believe. The next holy time is unleavened bread. It occurs on the 15th day of the first month and lasts for seven days. It is considered a feast day unto the Lord, during which an offering is made for seven days and no food with leaven or yeast is eaten during that whole time. God is so serious about this that he requires that no leaven even be seen in his people's homes. This is a memorial to remind us that God delivered Israel so quickly that their bread didn't even have time to rise before they left Egypt. It's called the bread of haste. The first and seventh days of unleavened bread are high Sabbaths. In the Bible, Leaven is used as a metaphor for sin. In the Bible, Jesus also uses it to refer to the doctrine or behaviors of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The full meaning of unleavened bread for the believers comes through Jesus, our sinless or leaven-free sacrifice, paying for the debt of our sins. The first fruit offering occurs the first Sunday after unleavened bread begins. It is an offering to God for the harvest to come. It is also mentioned in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, and Ezekiel 44, verse 30. Jesus fulfills this holy day prophecy by rising from the dead and becoming the first fruit of them that slept. See uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, and Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Nice job, miss. So 50 days or seven Sabbaths, after first fruit is Shavuot. This is a high Sabbath, even though it only lasts for one day, and an offering is made to the Lord to thank him for the first harvest and the giving of the Torah. See Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. You know, the Christian church knows this day as Pentecost Sunday. Mm -hmm. This holy day is the reason why Jews from so many remote places were in Jerusalem when the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, was given in Acts 2. There are detailed instructions as with the previous feasts, many of which we cannot do because there's no temple or priesthood right now. But we do as much as we can. Well, we have more to share, but that's it for today's podcast. Please go back and read over the scriptures we've shared. And if you have any questions, comments, or encouragement, 
let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we'd love it. In our next podcast, we'll talk about our upcoming appointment with our creator called Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets. Mm -hmm. Thanks for spending 15 or so minutes with us at Red Pill Torah, where you can handle the truth. Thank you.